Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. We're concerned about your freedom footprint and we want to help you spread as much freedom dioxide as possible. Today and going forward, we're trying something slightly different to introduce our episodes. We're always learning and trying to improve to best respect the time you choose to spend with us when you watch or listen. So there may be more changes as we go forward with that goal in mind. Today we're joined by Pietro Battistella, author of the book Bitcoin, Technics and Time, in his first ever podcast appearance. The book is available at consensus.network. In this episode, we'll discuss techniques, philosophy, mythology, the inevitability of progress, and the relationship between Bitcoin and time. Together, we'll analyze Pietro's thesis, Is Bitcoin One of the Purest Manifestations of Technics? Before we start, we'd like to quickly remind you that the best way to support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value-for-value podcasting app, such as Fountain or Breeze. If you get value from the show, consider sending us some value back. We appreciate every boost, and we'll read the top four boostograms we receive each week. Since last time, we got one boost from at Ostan Asuntoya, 300 sats with the message, Nordic accents, very nice. No doubt that's from BTC Paradigm and Knut as opposed to myself. We also had plenty of sats streamed our way, so thanks to everyone who did that as well. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss a weekly episode. We also want to thank our sponsors of today's show, the Orange Pill app and Wasabi Wallet. You can find information about them in the show notes, and we'll talk more about them in a little while. We'll also mention that the show is produced by Consensus Network, the first Bitcoin-only publishing house, and it's a hub for Bitcoin content like this show. So now, get ready to learn about Bitcoin, freedom, and how you can make a positive impact with your own freedom footprint. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudo-Finn, and I'm here, as always, with Knut Spahnholm. And Knut, this morning, I get to actually say good morning. Good morning, Knut. Good evening, Luke. I mean, good morning, Luke. Perfect. I, We're leaving nice that in. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you. Well, it was we delib- it, I, I have to admit, it was deliberate. <laughs> so funny. It's usually evening when we record, but this time, uh, this time it's the morning because we're, we have a guest who, who actually is from uh, an Eastern time zone from us, which is not what we usually have. And our guest today is Pietro Battistella, who is a new author on Consensus Network, who has a really interesting book out called Bitcoin, Technics and Time. So let's welcome Pietro onto the show. Welcome, Pietro. Welcome. Thank you, Luke, and thank you, Knut. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for accommodating the time. It's uh, an early Sunday for you, so I really appreciate that. And thank you for your work on the on the podcast. I've been watching, I think, almost all the episodes. It's it's great work. Uh, it's interesting, and you know, it helps grow the Bitcoin community, which which is great. Uh, so I'm really excited and pleased. Uh, thank you. Oh, fantastic! I don't believe we have ever had a. Freedom Footprint show fan on uh, before Luke. <laughs> no, I think this is a first. So thanks for that. Uh, uh, that appreciate it. Yeah, it's fantastic to hear. And Knut, I've read your book, uh, of course, um, which is also quoted in my book. 
a small portion. So that kind of adds to, to the excitement and to, and to the tanks. So yeah, good to keep up oh. the, the that's fantastic to hear. Uh, warms my heart a lot. And uh, I'm surprised that I haven't heard of you. Like you were on Twitter, at least you're relatively unknown. And uh, so, so give us a little of your background and how you found Bitcoin and what, what your role in Bitcoin is now. And like when you decided to write the book and w- what led you to that. And uh, the book is, is called Bitcoin Techniques and Time. And you just released it on the consensus network so so do do people know you from anywhere else like g- give us a story yeah no well thank you i'm well i don't think people know me from from anywhere else i've been relatively quiet uh, in the well, bitcoin community or on twitter i have a twitter account i haven't really used it for a few years it's like dormant or that but my, my background um, is really in communications. I studied as a journalist back in Italy. I started my career as a journalist, a political journalist, and then I switched to consultants. So I, I switched to consulting, uh, to, to work for a communications consultancy, advising companies on strategic communications, public affairs, still in Rome. It was about nine years ago, 10 years ago. But that job has brought me to live across a few countries. I spent some time in London, then I moved to Asia, first in Japan, Tokyo, Japan, and then I landed here in Singapore about three years ago, just before the pandemic. And during this year, I've been just doing, just, just work, uh, been working on, for, for this consultancy on communications issues, reputation management issues, public affairs issues. As it pertains with with to Bitcoin, uh, I mean, I think this is the story of of many uh, of many of, of us. Uh, I started to hear about Bitcoin and get interested into Bitcoin first as an investment tool, right? And it was for for me it was like 2017 in the 2017-2018 cycle. Um, then the interest kind of decreased a little bit or went dormant. And it was really around 2020 uh, when the pandemic, you know, gave us time to reflect, uh, gave us back some time that I started to get reinterested into Bitcoin. At first, again, as an investment, but then very quickly uh, on, on the broader space of, you know, how this technology, what consequences brings to our lives individually and at a society. Um, level. So I started to went down. I went down the, the rabbit hole, as as, as we say, and uh, started to read, listen, watch, hear, so on and so forth. And at the same time, and this was kind of in parallel. I've always been, I always been passionate about you know broader technology, philosophy, history. I did author a few years ago. Hey, history is say it's only in Italian. Um, it's on an episode of Italian history, but around 2020, I started to delve into the uh, reading in, into the reading of the works of few of the major uh, philosophers of technology of the past century, uh, and it was you know, totally different um, world stream of my curiosity from from Bitcoin. But then quickly, I realized that the two world streams of my curiosity were really connecting each other. So I was hearing the same thing from uh, the Bitcoin reading and from the philosophy reading. Uh, and I started to make some connections 
in uh, in my mind. And later on last year, those connections, I thought I should put them in in writing, and I started to draft this uh, initially a paper, and then it got expanded. A broader, a broader book on techniques, time, and, and Bitcoin. I got in touch with the now friends at Consensus Network, and the rest is editing from from the team and then and, and the publication last month. So yeah, people. I don't think people in the Bitcoin community know me. Um, that's this is my first work. And it's the first time in your podcast that I talk about these topics publicly. So bear with me if I still have to kind of grasp the best uh, narrative. I try to be as precise, as accurate as possible in the writing. Uh, but, you know, from, from a spoken word uh, standpoint, I think I still need to hit uh, it's the right button. So uh, this is going to be the first time. I, I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> but uh, what, what I can tell you is like, Going on podcasts and trying to explain your your writing helps your writing a lot, and uh, and vice versa. Writing helps you helps you more be more coherent in your thoughts and helps you explain your viewpoints better uh, live at at some point. So, but but I remember my first couple of interviews; they were they're really embarrassing in hindsight. But but uh, yeah, uh, so. It, it's it's a wonderful experience to to uh, write a book and promote it and uh, get some attention for it. It's uh, it's not uh, it's not something that everyone gets to do, and uh, you should appreciate every moment of it. That's my advice because it's it's good fun. So, t- tell us a, a, a bit about this book. What, what what's the book about? Well, the book is really about. It's mainly, I would say, about techniques, and we talk about it in a, in a, in a little while. Uh, I came into the book with a uh, thesis, uh, I believe, which got confirmed by the process of writing the book. So I came in with the thesis that uh, it can be argued that Bitcoin is the uh, one of the purest manifestation of techniques. Um, and you know, uh, the let, process- let's let's just. Yeah. Clear this up a bit. I think there's a bit of Italian accent coming along here because is are, are, you, are you? Do you mean techniques or techniques? I mean, I, mean, I, I think I mean techniques. I, I think you mean techniques too. So I wanted to clear that out first because I, I've heard Italian accent before, and right, you know, those are two right. words. Yeah. So techniques. Right. All right. Techniques. So sorry for that. But <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. totally, uh, it's it's helpful to uh, to clarify. Um, is techniques. And what I mean about with, with techniques, right? You know, you, if you think about techniques, you may, you may think, you know, the, the practical application of knowledge, techniques, industrial techniques, any kind of, of techniques. Yeah, can you define that just a little bit deeper? Because yeah. I, I think that's a concept that is going to be new for quite a lot of people. It's new for me, to be like honest. Technologies, right? Like, right? Well, technology is the best gateway to start talking about techniques, uh, but All techniques right. not equate technology the way, you know, I mean it. Techniques is the essence of technology. Techniques, and this is the work um, uh, major philosophers the past centuries, I think from Spengler, Heidegger, Elul, uh, Severino, um, have delved into, into these. And um, their intuition was that 
the essence of technology is by no means technological. Uh, let me explain. The essence of technology can be defined as techniques, and techniques is better understood as the undefined increase of the ability of achieving goals. Okay? Uh, is techniques is a, um, you, you can call it a force out there in the world, strives to achieve goals through the deployment of means in a way that is always more efficient, always faster, often cheaper, generally better. So it's this force driving to achieve goals. And, you know, it's better understood in technology because technology is evident, right? You know, the, the phone we have is uh, way faster, uh, more powerful, even cheaper than the one we bought five years ago, right? Which used to do one thing at a multiple of, of the cost and of the energy. Now it, it does a thousand things, costs less, is faster, so on. So technology and science, by the way, as well, you see it, you see very clearly the, the progress of techniques. Technology strives to, to do things faster, more efficiently. But the intuition of these philosophers was that does not, that does not happen only in technology. If you think finance is the same, it's kind of the same. Uh, the ca uh, capitalism is a, an area where uh, goals are achieved always faster, always uh, they, they strive to achieve them more efficiently. Science is the same. You know, even if technology is not involved, they might come up with a new medical practice, a new uh, surgery practice to achieve the goal faster, more effectively, with less waste, so on and so forth. Even business management, you know, they might come up with a new uh, management practice uh, to uh, make your, the achievement of your goals uh, generally better. And this is, you know, the, the intuition is to call, is to dissociate this from technology, saying that these techniques is the essence of technology, but it lives in every other human field. You can uh, think about it also as, you know, um, the highest form of rationality that strives for efficiency, for example. In, in a way, the theory of evolution for, uh, by, by, uh, in, in the view of some of their researchers, it also strives for that. Um, so you can see techniques, techniques, apologies, uh, in every field of the human knowledge. Uh, not only te technology. Technology is the most evident, like it's, it's there, you see it, it's, it's technology, but, but not only that. Does it make sense? Yeah, the, the, the way I put it in everything divided by 21 million is that every tool and technology ever invented by man was, was invented for the same purpose, to save time. So that, that's what efficiency is, I guess, to save time. And it's the same, like you can view a, an idea in a specific scientific field as a tool in itself. If there's a tool for better management of a company, like an idea about better, how to better manage a company, that's a tool to the manager. Uh, so, so, uh, so that's, that's the way I, I, uh, frame it in that book. But it, it, it's, I think it's speaking about the same thing is that strive to, you know, save time, um, you can argue perhaps save energy, like in, 
deploy less energy to achieve better goals. It's efficiency, it's uh, optimization. And it's honestly something that, you know, in the story, in the history of humankind has always been around. Right? Uh, I like to think that the first techniques was human thought, right? It's the moment uh, we started to think. And then even more, the more moment we started to articulate spoken words or the moments that, you know, we invented alphabet, those were all big leap forward in techniques. It, they helped us achieve new goals or the same old goals in better ways at a fraction of the time, less energy and, and so on. The big difference between the techniques of, you know, a few thousand years ago and the techniques that we have today is really the power. What do you think of the episode so far? Let us know what you think in the comments or on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, for now anyway, and I'm also on Noster. Connect with us there, leave a YouTube comment, or send us a Boostergram to tell us what you think. Before we dive back in, a quick word about our sponsors. First up is the Orange Pill app. Download the Orange Pill app today from theorangepillapp.com. Yeah, Orange Pill app, Woo rocket ship, get on board. It's available for iOS and Android. Stack friends and meet like-minded people near you. Connect with your favorite Bitcoiners and speed up hyper-Bitcoinization. We're really excited about the Orange Pill app and its potential to connect Bitcoiners in their local area. Download the Orange Pill app. It's not a dating app, but you can use it for dating. Download now. Next up is Wasabi Wallet. It's a great desktop wallet that has privacy by default and CoinJoin built in. It recycles your UTXOs around so that no one knows who you are after it's done the process. Check out wasabiwallet.io. Make sure that that's the actual link you check out because there are scammers out there who want to steal your Bitcoin. But it works in the background. Tor is built in. And when you send coins to it, the coins you take out are private. So download Wasabi Wallet today. I'm wearing these shades in tribute to Wasabi Wallet because your OPSEC is important. So I'm totally anonymous now, just so you know. Yes, a, a question pops into mind. What, what do you view as the starting point of human thought? I, I found that interesting because is that when the first neuron fired in an amoeba somewhere or like, uh, or, or when we were like more akin to mice, uh, like wh where, or is it the first like deliberate low time preference thoughts that's you know, made out of free will or what, what is, what, what point in time are you referring to? Well, I, I'm referring to the point in time, you know, I'm by no means an expert in anthropology or, um, or anything like that, but I'm referring to the point in time when whatever we, we can call consciousness and uh, articulation of thought starts to become language. Because language is the key, is the watershed. Uh, there is a, a world before language, um, I mean, which is spoken language, and the world after language. So the moment that thought and might have taken you know, millions of years it becomes a language, uh, I think that that's the watershed uh, moment. It's it's the moment when you know two language we you know, not necessarily needs to be. Um, super articulated, it, it, it can be big, it can be just sounds, but sounds that carry some meaning. Uh, that's the moment when you, know, you can organize with your, uh, with your peers, with your group, with other, other people. And, and te techniques, as well as technology, it's, you know, at the core of techniques, there is this, it's a mode of being, 
Martin Heidegger said. Uh, it's not a tool. It's not, you know, there is a tool, of course, there is a technological tool, there is the uh, stone, and there is the pen, there is the computer. But techniques is really a mode of being, it's a relation between myself, other people around me, and the world. So it's it's how I configure my uh, thinking and my action in relation to what's outside. Yeah, I do that through means, through objects, technical objects, but the, the, the technical object is not all of it. It's really the whole, it's the relationship, it's a mode of being. All right, very interesting. Yeah, the, um, the objects themselves aren't interesting before they become someone's property <laughs> in my mind because like property is a relationship between a, a person and a thing a, a, a person and a physical object i mean you you could uh, your 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 physical body is is your property and but it's also a a physical thing uh but it's your property because you have that relationship with it you 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 control it so it's, uh, yeah uh, uh, tell us a bit more about the book. How how do you uh, map Bitcoin onto these ideas, or or uh, like what what's 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 the key insight there? Well, the key insight is really you know in in the book I uh, first of all I define this concept of techniques and I break it down into core elements that in my view are structural or fundamental techniques, and um, I for each of these elements I map them out to Bitcoin. And you know, whoever will, will read the book will we, we'll see that uh, there is the element of autonomy of techniques. There is the element of uh, purpose of techniques, trajectory, growth trajectory of, of techniques. And for each one of these constitutive elements, I see a clear connection to Bitcoin. As if the structure of techniques, uh, the map of techniques, really connects and maps out to the territory of Bitcoin in a way that, in my view, no other technology, no other object out there does. And the, you know, the, the conclusion, the outcome, which is a confirmation of the thesis, is that Bitcoin really can be understood as one of the purest manifestations of techniques. Even even purer than I believe, uh, you know, artificial intelligence at the moment. You know, you know, there is so much buzz now about the uh, Chat GPT system, artificial intelligence. At the moment, though, all those systems, you know, they train on human-generated text, right? You know, they, they are machine learning systems. They train on massive uh, sets of data that is human-generated. So they, they still retain the biases, they still retain the knowledge, they still retain those elements of human passion and, and, and knowledge um, that they get from the data. Uh, Bitcoin is, is pure code, right? So it doesn't have that human, um, that human element uh, in its functioning. So in, in, in the book, I articulate how all those elements, the structure, techniques, uh, how they can, they can be found in, in Bitcoin. And, you know, the, the, the general conclusion is that you know, they really map out to it. And, um, and I, I do consider Bitcoin one of the purest forms of uh, techniques. Yeah, I wrote a lot about 
Bitcoin's relationship with time in in everything divided. What well, what are your thoughts on that? And and uh, like it's in the title of your book too. So so like what, what what's the what's the connection there? It's actually time is the focus of the second part of the book, Bitcoin techniques and time. The the notion the, the insight that um, which is by no means my insight is. So first of all, we all know the role time plays in Bitcoin. I don't have to explain you how uh, even Satoshi called it a timestamp, a time chain. Uh, Gigi wrote the, the wonderful article, Bitcoin is time. You wrote about it um, in your book. It's really this decentralized block that keep us, keeps consensus on you know what time or what, or what time is it now, right? And techniques is crucial and essential to well, time is crucial and essential to techniques as well. And that's the key differentiator between the te- techniques um, that we have uh, today and the techniques that we have in ancient time. Let me explain that. You know, the notion that we have today of time is generally a linear time. There is linearity of time. There is a past, there is a present, there is a future. Usually the past is, you know, full of problems, presence is you know, what we, we are doing in the future, or, or hopefully there is an horizon of kind of meaning, there is an horizon of, of salvation or whatever, there's a progress. That's what we call progress, right? It's kind of a linear, which has slowdowns, deviations, but there is a general improvement over time of the conditions of the humankind, so on and so forth. Well, it was not always like that. If we go back, we flashback to the times of the ancient Greeks or to the time of the uh, ancient civilization of the Hindu Valley, time was circular, right? There was a past which was also a future. There was a uh, past that uh, will happen again in in the future. Uh, The the Greeks, they had by no means a, a linear concept of time. They were, they had the concept of time, which was based on uh, cycles and which um, you could see in the cycles of seasons, uh, spring, summer, autumn, invent, harvest. And there was no history in ancient Greece. There was a myth. You know, we, we had, why did the myths um, disappear in, in modern? The myths disappeared because we have another kind of time. In the circular, in the antique, in the circular conception of time, if you, if you, you know, let's say Knut was a big king in the um, Greek polis of Thebes, right? A Knut uh, would defeat an enemy trying to invade the city. That defense of the city, uh, which would be nowadays history, which would have a very specific point in time, uh, would be reported about, accounted uh, about in the history books. In ancient Greek, soon would become myth, mythology. And perhaps something that every year the population of that city would try to revive through rituals. Every episode that we consider historical episode in the ancient conception of time would become myth. The connection with techniques is that in that kind of mindset, 
you can't develop technique. Uh, techniques, you, you need a long-term horizon. Uh, you need a, um, a playground between the now and the tomorrow, uh, which is different from the past, where you can deploy techniques. And this, really, this sh shifting concept of time, it really became, you know, which is now mainstream in the Western thought world, really came into being, I think, for the first time with Christianity. So if you, if you study religions, and specifically ancient religions, you'll see how the Judeo-Christian thought brings into, so brings forward a conception of time that is, this is eschatological, where there is a future that is salvation. Before that, future was not salvation. Future was the, exactly the same of the, of the past. And instead, Christianity, Judeo-Christian thoughts brings into being a, um, you know, a concept of history, which uh, soon became secularized. So like, uh, whatever we have, the, the Industrial Revolution, um, the Enlightenment, uh, what they did was, was to secularize that concept of linear time Christianity brought in into progress, into scientific advancement, technology. And if you think about it, all the big, um, not only religious, also, also the big ideologies, the big forces out there in, in the world, they all share this concept of time, which is linear and I say in the book is tripartite, it's divided in three, has meaning, it has end, purpose, and it has meaning, tripartite, and, and, um, and it's linear, it has directionality. Capitalist, for capitalists, you know, the, the past is an inefficient uh, capitalistic society, the present is accumulation of wealth, the growth of um, capital through, through business development and the future is a capitalistic society where all the, you know, where the market uh, satisfies all, uh, all needs. Let's say in, in science, the past is ignorance, the present is research and discovery, and the future is the advancement of science. Uh, there is all, in all the big ideas for the West nowadays, there is, uh, this big salvation put forward in the, in the future. And Bitcoin maps, maps out to that greatly. In Bitcoin, or at a narrative level, uh, the past is fiat money, you know, soft money. The, the present is the adoption of Bitcoin, the work, the proof of work, then that will lead to adoption of Bitcoin. And the future is the Bitcoin standard, the hyper Bitcoinization. And this, you know, this whole discourse, which to us seems a given, seems definitely not rocket science. First of all, um, it's relatively new because, you know, if you go back more than 2000 years ago, uh, you would find a totally different concept of time, which you also find in other societies. Like if you, you know, why does the Eastern society, the Eastern traditional way of thinking have a, a different way to look at the world? which is more cyclical, which is in a way more traditional, more akin to what we had here, to what we had in the West a few thousands of years ago. Because they didn't have that, or they have it so prominent, that shift to the linear 
and the progress concept of time, which, by the way, is embodied in myths in the, in the West, the myth of Prometheus, right? It's one of the foundational myths of the Western thought, whereas Prometheus literally means Prometheia, means to think in advance. He, he who thinks in advance. And Prometheus was the brother of Epimetheus, which, which meant uh, forethought, whoever, you know, who left over some thinking, uh, who forgot something. And in, in the various versions of the myth of Prometheus, you really see this figure as the person who brings to humankind, yes, the fire, but the fire as a means to preserve energy, to preserve heat, to think about the future, right? And also here, the connection with Bitcoin to, to, the two, to the two of you will be evident. You know, the way that Bitcoin uh, lowers the time preference would be, um, you know, it, it's not con even conceivable in a society that thinks secret, that thinks in a circle. It can only happen in a society that has a projection to the future. Prometheus, thinking about the future. And that kind of, you know, in my view, um, well, in many others' view as well, Prometheus is really the figure that brings techniques into uh, the human time. And there is so this beautiful connection between techniques and time uh, that I think really maps out to Bitcoin. This is interesting because, like, you, you, you talk about these things and these civilizations in terms of societies and collective groups of people. But there must have been, or as praxeology tells us, there's always a difference uh, between one person's time preference to another's. So I think people in these societies and in these ancient civilizations, like every, every acting human being, every, every entity that does something out of free will has some sort of time preference. So in these societies, it must have been individuals who had another concept of time, of course, because like even even the circularity you described with the seasons and uh, agriculture, that requires a certain perception of time that, you know, it might be circular on a year-to-year -year basis, but it's still linear throughout the year. So do, do you think there's a specific point where we shift from one mindset to another, or do you think it just... Like you say, it's the Judeo-Christian values and, and the, the thoughts of salvation. But I suspect that these things might, ha might have been, you know, slowly sipping into culture through all sorts of things. When people observe other people succeed because they think of the future, they, they get the insight themselves that maybe I should think a bit more long-term here. You know, definitely. I mean, every... Every division of history into ages and epochs, every historical milestone, it's usually an oversimplification. It is not like that in the year zero of yeah. these ages something happened. It's always a progressive, long-term, you know, the historians talk about the long durée of, of history. It's big, long, deep um, processes um, that takes you know, geological ages, it takes time, right? So you need to simplify when, when, uh, when you try to extrapolate the abstract, the patterns, yeah. uh, but definitely, of course, uh, you know, whoever wrote, you know, whoever 
uh, came up first with the myth of Prometheus, which I was just referring, it had that concept of lower time preference, that projection yeah. toward the future. But it was not the mainstream. It was not a dominant figure. I mean, the end uh, of Prometheus, Prometheus uh, it has a very bad end. It gets tied to a rock and every day an eagle would come, uh, eagle probably representing uh, Zeus and the gods, uh, would come to, um, to attack him and eat his liver every day. And the liver overnight would uh, regrowth so that the day after he could be eaten again by the same eagle. So it was no, a, it was no hero. It, it wasn't um, uh, the mainstream, it was the, the leading. So somebody thought about it, but the society was going, well, the society had another understanding. Uh, and then things, you know, slowly, I guess, I guess changed. I, I did mention the Judeo-Christian mindset. I think it, it played a big role also for you know, political reasons. I guess, as Christianity became uh, later on the agreed uh, religion of, of, of the empire. And then, um, I mean, nowadays, in the, you know, I come from Italy, but I would say in Europe, in the West, we are all Christians, not because we believe in Christianity or whatever, because we are Christian culturally, because we have embedded into ourselves certain conceptions that come from centuries of um, Christianity in our societies. In some societies more, in some societies later, less, you know, Italy, it was a big Catholic country, of course. It, it became dumb. So definitely, it's a it's a process. Uh, it's very difficult, but you need to kind of divide by conventional uh, milestones to 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 grasp the pattern of of that. It's been too long since I've I've talked about Vikings on this show. So uh, this this one is a little different, and it's a Prometheus uh, equivalent story. So. And the reason for this, I, I want to, to give you maybe an alternate one that I'm not sure if you've you've seen. Northern European culturally became Christianized a bit later. And the cyclical concept is still there, especially in terms of you might know about the idea of Ragnarok, like the destruction of the 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 gods, the the end of the civilization. So I won't dwell on that too, too much, but the the story, uh, and I'll sort of paraphrase here, but here, I will actually quote one. Uh, so so this is from a poem called Havamal, which is the the words of the high one, and which is Odin, the the god of wisdom, essentially. I know that I hung on a wind-battered tree nine long nights, pierced by a spear, and given to Odin, myself to myself, on that tree, whose roots grow in a place no one has ever seen. No one gave me food, no one gave me drink. At the end I peered down, and I took the runes. Screaming, I took them, and then I fell. My imagination expanded, I became wise, I grew and I thrived. One word chased another word flowing from my mouth, one deed chased another deed flowing from my hands. So there's more to it, but the points here is that Odin, this conceptual figure who embodies inspiration and wisdom, essentially, 
he sacrificed himself to himself, which is, I think, a description of the concept of low time preference and making sacrifices to improve in the future. And the discovery was wisdom, quite literally writing. The writing system in Northern Europe is based on the Phoenician one. So it all eventually comes back to to that. At least that's the theory. There, There's no 100% proof that this came uh, directly from whoever. But is, the idea here is that this was a conception that maybe has a, a totally different side to it. It's not exactly the same as this Prometheus story, but maybe it's got some common ancestor. The Greeks split off from the Indo-Europeans quite a long time ago, actually, in terms of it being its own branch of the linguistic tree. And the the Germanic group probably had a little more in common with the Celtic, with the, the Roman, became the Romance. So these things all traveled a very long time and the stories grew and developed in the cyclical nature. And this is where I'll tie it back to Ragnarok. Odin doesn't have a negative death. He does he, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a negative in the sense of immediately. This is a sort of a story about uh, this Havamal is about discovering wisdom, but his ultimate fate, yes, is to die, but that story basically ends in a sacrifice so that the next generation can live in a in a better place. In, in other words, I tie the entire thing together into this that the the cycles are always building on each other. So I still see a bit of a progression in these stories. That said, this was only ever written down by Christians. So who knows? That's a beautiful story <laughs> uh, or a beautiful poem. Uh, yes, and uh, many parallels to to the time chain here of course and building on blocks of the past and the you know sac sacrifice that leads to wisdom that's that's what proof of work is right uh why sarimna came to mind was of the the liver that came back the day after sarimna was the pig that came back the day after after the vikings uh, the viking gods have had feasted on it every night and i certainly like to have such a pig that's free bacon. That's what Scandinavia is all about. Anyway, the, the, the thing here, like when we talked about Christianity as well, Christianity is for better or worse of best of, uh, of like the things that preceded it. It borrows from all sorts of other mythology that weaves into like the, the, uh, the seven day week was there long before Christianity, but like there, there are, uh, preceding godlike figures that have the same traits as as jesus with the resurrection and four days here and 12 disciples and all all of these stories seem like remakes of one another and like that some dj made a dance music song out of them so so what yeah well what are your views on on this pietro and and like yeah i i don't know really what my question is just like to hear your thoughts on what we do we're just riffing on to Luke's point, um, in these traditional societies, which, yes, and this is also Knuck's point, they are all linked together. You know, if you go back enough, you will find common roots for, for all of them, especially from, from, from the Indo-European family. But 
there is a slight progress within the circularity, within the cycles, but it's, 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 it's progressive, but it's very slowly. It's, it's still, you know, it's um, suggested. It, it's not evident. It's not uh, the salvation of, of Christianity, which is, which is very, very prominent. And uh, this is the same point of, of note. Um, yeah, in, in Christianity, in Judeo-Christian thought, you find uh, many of the religious patterns from uh, the pagan world and from whatever there was there was before. But it just so happens that at some point, things for a while crystallize, uh, become mainstream, become dominant for, you know, for historical reasons, sometimes for political reasons. And this also makes me think of, of something else about uh, techniques, which is also explored in the, in the book. What is interesting about techniques uh, is that, especially modern techniques, is increasingly autonomous, right? Uh, it's increasingly less dependent on human beings. Um, it's dissociated from human control more and more. Uh, to a point that if you, if you study the history of science over the past couple of centuries, when, when, you know, techno-scientific advancements was the one we were talking about, was uh, massive on a global scale, scale, so on and so forth, you will find many instances of scientific discoveries that happened more or less at the same time uh, in different places of the world, uh, from different people who were not probably in touch with each other. This happened with the theory of evolution of Charles Darwin. This happened with the, the, the um, technology of telephone. Um, and, and in my view, in the view of some of the philosophers we uh, I, I mentioned in the book, this is because technology, te techniques, has sort of perhaps not consciously, nobody is arguing for that, but it constitutes this movement that uh, given some um, conditions, economical, political, technological, especially technological conditions, will lead to, to a certain discovery anyways, to the point that the human, that actually the human being you know, is the individual scientist that uh, we attribute to this, this discovery, uh, it acts as a catalyst, right? And this is even, uh, so uh, in my book, I, in, I quote some words from um, Heisenberg, um, which was uh, a notorious German physicist of, of the last century. Um, Dr. Chemist from Albuquerque. Right. No, 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 that's why. No, that's why. No, that's why. Uh, and Heisenberg, you know, makes this point, says, you know, if I did not discover this specific discovery, someone else would have done it. Because this is outside of human control. And this made me, made me think of Satoshi. Uh, in, in Heisenberg's case, it would be that the discovery is made and not made at the same time, like, or is that in Schrodinger's case? Anyway, go on. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, that made me think of Satoshi. Um, and Sa Satoshi, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means a 
technical expert of the functional Bitcoin and technologies behind Bitcoin, but none of the big technologies, not, not the encryption um, or the distributed ledger system was a novel technology, right? There were things around already around the um, crypto, the encryption, uh, cyber uh, encryption community. Satoshi acted as a catalyst. He brought it together, added some of his, uh, and then disappears, right? Um, it's the perfect manifestation of how techniques, the pure techniques, act. It's dissociated from human, human control. Uh, if Satoshi was not there, someone else, you know, maybe one year later or two years later, might have come up with something very similar to Bitcoin. And then we are all lucky, I believe, that it happened to be Satoshi because for so many reasons, which we we we, we can explore. Um, but there is this movement of techniques, which is somehow less and less reliant on uh, human beings, which is, you know, what does it mean? I don't know. Is it worrisome? Maybe, maybe not. But it is something very different from, from what used to happen a few, a few centuries ago. And also here, I think Bitcoin represents a very clear crystal manifestation of that movement. Uh, I'd like to add a point here because I I slightly disagree with that description of Satoshi and that it would eventually have happened any time later. The disagreement is that we, we cannot know if it would have happened at all because the parameters, this is such a delicate thing. So I believe... Bitcoin, the discovery sort of emerged out of Bitcoin, the invention. So, so it, it wasn't decentralized and it didn't function until some uncertain point in time, which was then sort of verified by the block size wars that the users were actually in control. But we had no real evidence of that before, before the block size wars. So, so uh, if, if events would have played out in any other way than they did, if any of the parameters, like the 10-minute block interval or or like the 21 million coin limit or whatever, would have been any different, we have no idea if this would have worked. It's it's like the parameters of the universe itself. Like we wouldn't have been here to to observe them if they weren't the way they were. And Bitcoin is sort of the same. We cannot know if any other system, you know, only slightly if we only sl- slightly changed one of the parameters and even like the date that Satoshi disappeared, if it disappeared one day later, we don't know if it would have played out the way it did. And we we cannot know anything about any alternate timeline. We we only know about the timeline we, we live in and we know that Bitcoin works in this one. And that's that's magic. <laughs> Or we know that it has worked up until this point in this timeline. We don't know if it will at some point fail because of some some unknown unknown. But of all the known unknowns, we know that those are solved for and that it works today. Uh, and I think this is like all of these things taken together is why but why people they, they don't understand. They can't grasp the magnitude of this thing. This is the first thing that is totally out of control the, the control of humans we never had a technology that wasn't controlled by humans before and and it's a completely novel thing and we have no choice but to adapt to it 
uh, but to accept that it exists and adapt to it. There's there's no other way. It's a it, it's a it's a thing in the world now. We cannot do anything about Be- because we're pre-programmed for for you know <laughs> game theory works because we think ahead and no one uh, y- you can't get like an entire planet of people working against their own self-interest, which is trying to break the Bitcoin rules. Everyone benefits from following the rules. So we got a system that through the consensus rules can only get better because everyone needs to agree for an upgrade to happen. And you can extend that to humanity itself because it functions because we function the way we function. We we act in our own self-interest. That's why Bitcoin functions. If we if we were de- self deprimental, Bitcoin wouldn't have worked. So, so it's such a it's such a huge huge shift in how what we are and how we operate. It it influences absolutely everything, and we got something so powerful and so it, it's like the the greatest force for good there ever was. Because because if you look ahead in the future, it can only change for the better. Extend that thought and means humanity can only change for the better. And yeah, that's that's why I'm I'm so fascinated by this thing. And the 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 rabbit hole is literally bottomless. A, a couple of points, if I may, to that, uh, which you know, are very interesting comments of side. So first of all, yeah, I think we might slightly disagree, but it doesn't matter at all. On um, uh, you know, um, if it was not Satoshi, it would never have been. Because it depends, I think it depends also on the resolution that you look at it. If you're talking about, um, if you look at Bitcoin and look at it as specific technology, you know, the details, the technical details of the technology, yeah, and, and how it played out in these years since its creation, yeah, you might be right. It might have never happened without Satoshi. If we cannot about, know. That's my point. Uh, we cannot know. know. Right. If we look at it with a lower resolution, with a more simplistic kind of look at it, if we look at it as you know, the, the separation between uh, state and money, or as a technological uh, monetary system uh, with fixed supply, decentralized, those are things that, you know, given an enough period of time, might well have, deve- might, might well, um, have Developed regardless. Uh, we don't know. Again, they also doesn't really- okay. Okay, but but, but uh, the uh, to explain my point a bit more specifically, I think people underestimate how low the odds are for that being the case, because I suspect that, for instance, Satoshi's disappearance at the exact right time was crucial to this ever being having the slightest chance of functioning. So, so, so we're, we're, we're truly in a situation that's unique and the uniqueness of it, like no one knows the magnitude of the uniqueness of it, but we know that all the shit coins don't work. <laughs> we, we know that they can't, we can, we can deductively reason ourselves to the position that this is a one-time thing that cannot be replicated. And, and that, that, that fact uh, alone, that this is a one-time, that, that's such a, that's such a black swan event that, that I, I highly suspect that if the parameters had been any different, this whole thing would never have happened. But that's pers- a personal opinion. But, but that's the thing I want to make. What, what's more, 
well, the, the the argument I want to make what, what's more plausible that that someone else would have stumbled on something similar or that it would never have worked and I, I think I'm in the it would never have worked camp it could, because it's so so fine-tuned and so perfect no 100 on that thanks thanks for the clarification I, I do agree with that and your following point is like we, we can't oppose it um it, it just works um that really again, connects in my head a Bitcoin to uh, techniques. So a big component of, of um, the thinking around techniques, which I articulate in the book, is that technique is the inevitable dominant force in the world, in the future. We, you know, we are getting into the age of techniques. There is nothing we can do to stop it. And this for, and this is not, you know, by, uh, by a magic spell. That's because of the path of how things work. Let me explain. Um, all, and let me give a few examples. All the big forces out there in the world, um, you know, to kind of, to look a little bit at the 20th century world, we can say, uh, all the big force of capitalism or socialism or uh, democracy. Um, each one of those forces, you know, they, they are in conflict with each other. And sometimes they are physical conflicts. They are uh, concrete conflicts. Capitalism tries to turn a society into a capitalistic society. A democracy tries to turn a society into a democratic society. Sometimes they get in conflict. You know, even more, of course, big international conflicts between capitalistic force and socialist force, if we look at you know, the Cold War, so on and so forth. Well, uh, what happens is that techniques uh, comes across as uh, the only force in that scenario whose end is to increase its own capability of achieving things, right? That's the purpose of techniques. Uh, it's increasing power of achieving things through deployment of means. That means that each one of the traditional forces, capitalism, capitalism needs more and more techniques to be to overcompete socialism or to overcompete uh, democracy or, or to overcompete com compete a religious ideas. Each force, each traditional force needs more and more techniques. That also means that each of each one of these forces, they need to somehow bend their own ends, their own goals, in a way that they don't weaken techniques. Um, so techniques is uh, always facilitated, always incentivized by, the, um, by these other forces. And the moment that you bend your own goals to something else goals, uh, you become something, something different. That, that's why we don't have you know, a pure capitalistic society in, in the world. We have always, you know, we might have a capitalistic society which has elements of you know, the social markets or some democratic elements that um, uh, protects, you know, they kind of distorts the pure thing or the, the pure ideas of capitalists, for example. And that kind of game theory scenario is one where techniques always wins. You know, over an extended period of time, everybody wants more techniques. And by the leading global force, the, the, the superpower of the world, whatever it might be, it will never ban a, um, 
a technology like you know, the semiconductor industry uh, or any other technology uh, from, uh, from the world. They need it. They need any technology and any techniques they can to overcompete their competitors, right? That's why, for example, according to the thought of Emanuele Severino, one of the philosophers I studied the most, techniques is the inevitable leading force moving forward. That, again, once again, it makes me think of Bitcoin, right? How many times you have seen or you are seeing players in the business, in the, in the government, in, in the Bitcoin arena, adopting or trying to uh, use Bitcoin for their own purposes, right? What happens in the end is that you, know, you don't fix Bitcoin, Bitcoin fixes you. It's a, you don't use Bitcoin, Bitcoin uses you. Even if you adopt it and you want to turn it into something else, by the, sa- by the simple process of adopting it, you reinforce the network, right? Um, it's, it's really the game theory uh, scenario which you know, you're familiar with. Everyone is incentivized to adopt over an extended period of time Bitcoin uh, for whatever for insurance. But even if you adopt it with a, a malicious intent, if you adopt it, you strengthen the network, which you know, every ten minutes generates the block and it just just goes and goes. Um, exactly. So I feel like the same pattern will lead uh, that um, brings techniques as the inevitable power in the, in the world might apply to the Bitcoin mechanism. We just so that this you know once more one of the connections I articulate in the book. The way I, I would if if I was to describe all that uh, w- with my words, I would say that like capitalism is is not a political ideology that you map onto the world. It's it's what happens when you let people. When you leave people with the only true human right, the right to be left alone and not forcefully interact with them, then they start trading. And capitalism is the the just another word for what happens when you don't use coercive methods. And all of these other political ideologies, socialism in particular, or, or communism in particular, but it's just just and even democracy, they just different levels of hell really because it's 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 all about doing stuff to people against people's will and the means uh so 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 taking other people's stuff you can deductively reason yourself to the position that that is always wrong and that, that we would all be better off if we didn't do that to one another and what i view bitcoin as the the discovery of bitcoin the specific like the, the specific very hopeful thing it does is that it maybe not removes, but it makes violence a lot less profitable. Because when you cannot know what another person owns and you cannot take it by force, your best option is to provide that person with something else of value if you want to extract something of value from them. So 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 it it moves what's it called? The that, that point <laughs> the shelling point of 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 violence in general and thereby enables us to 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 have a rule set without without any self-proclaimed rulers at all and all of these religions and political ideologies and philosophies will over time now have to adapt to this thing that actually functions and shows us what our core nature is and that collaboration is the best way forward and 
will eventually force everyone to adapt to that, which is which is way way better for everyone involved in it than than anything violent. Yeah, I mean, to me that that speaks. I mean, I I, I have a vision in the future that you know if uh, we get to a Bitcoin standard, Bitcoin will become invisible. You know, every successful technology becomes invisible. It just works. And I have a, I think I have a quote which I have in front of me here in in the book from Jacques Ellul, one of one of the philosophers I I, I studied. A French philosopher, brilliant, brilliant person. He says in the, I think this must have been in the 50s or the 60s, talking about the technological society, he says, and I quote, we must bring money back to its simple role as a material instrument. When money is no more than an object, when it has lost its seductiveness, its supreme value, its superhuman splendor, then we can use it like any other of our belongings, like any machine. Um, and to me, that's what Bitcoin does. It takes out the, uh, you said the, the logical violence. Yes, it takes out the human uh, discretionality, the discretionality of monetary policies, of central banks, of uh, whatever human distortion there might be, which is including the logical violence. And brings it to something that just works, like like a machine, right? It's just a, a ledger of a, a ledger system that works, that adds numbers in the moment it needs to add numbers. So it becomes yeah, over over enough period of time, it will become invisible because it just works. When things just works, you don't even have care about it. You don't even see both. And just to clarify, I view inflation as violence. Inflating the monetary supply is a violent act because you're you're diluting the value, the purchasing power of other people's money, which is stealing, w- without their consent. Uh, so, so you have a money printer. You, you're you have a gun. Like it's the same thing. It's uh, because the, the money printer, uh, the money printer permit, is held by one institution and one institution alone in every country and uh, like if if the rules were equal we we could all have a money printer at home and that would be more fair but but it isn't fair there is a violent actor and the threat of violence is always it's omnipresent so so that's why i view bitcoin as something truly truly novel in the sense that there's no violence involved at all it's it's voluntary from from the start to to whatever you 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 use the tool for yeah definitely agree with that no no questions before we wrap up reminder the best way to support the show is through value for value so consider bashing the boost button or streaming us some sats if you're getting value from the show and if you're on youtube don't forget to like the episode subscribe to the channel and tell us what you think in the comments and now here's some more information about consensus network and what canute is up to these days Hey, Luke, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the Consensus Network, the platform that this show is on and the publishing house that publishes my books? What is the Consensus Network, Luke? 
Thanks, Knut. The Consensus Network is a Bitcoin-only publisher and translator. In other words, translates Bitcoin books into all sorts of languages. Anyone who's interested in translating a book into their language can get in touch with the Consensus Network to help translate and spread the Bitcoin message throughout the world. We have lots of great examples here. Knut's books are some of the most popular on the site. Check out consensus.network or bitcoinbook.shop to see everything that Consensus has to offer. That's bitcoinbook.shop. Use the affiliate code FOOTPRINT for 10% off. Knut, can you tell us about how to get in touch with you and find out more about your stuff and the things that you're involved in these days? Yeah, sure, Luke. So I'm at Knut Svanum on Twitter. I also have a website, knutsvanum.com, where you can find all of my books. There's a whole bunch of books. These old two ones, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, are being rehashed into one book that's coming out with a foreword by Prince Philip. I'm also making a wine. I'm not making this wine, but this is a wine bottle with a Bitcoin B on it that you can sign up for on my website. And you can also find all sorts of everything divided merch if you're interested in that. So uh, that's how you support me. I think this has been a fantastic overview of a lot of the ideas in your book. And I think any of our listeners, regular listeners should absolutely check this out because it's right up our alley. I think, you know, this, this discussions, uh, you know, little pushbacks here or whatever, I think that's, I, I, I want you to know that that's from this being a super interesting topic and, and everything you're talking about and queuing up being uh, fascinating and just wanting to dig into it more. So this is, this has been uh, great to, to hear about this and your perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely agree. And like, sometimes I, uh, intuitively take the devil's advocate position, uh, in, uh, when discussing with people, but, but don't take that personal. It's just to get the conversation going. And I love these ideas, looking forward to the book and, uh, to, you know, collaborating with you in the future, uh, via consensus network. Uh, which we all belong to. Thank you again, Luke, Knut, um, Knut, I, I don't take personally any of the disagreements. They are all constructive and they all make the, each other's arguments better. And we are all here to, to learn from, from each other. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and again, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. Thank Great. you, Pietro. And can you quickly, can you also tell us, uh, do you have any plans to be, uh, at any conferences or in this end of the world or anything like that, uh, anytime soon? Uh, not start at the moment, uh, it's definitely something I want to look into, but at the moment, no, no plans. Uh, we'll, we'll update you if that changes. Sounds good. Well, it'd be uh, great to meet you in person one of these days, but, uh, we'll, we'll take the, the magic internet portal of zoom for, for the moment. And, uh, where can people find you and get in touch with you? And uh, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to say about maybe what you're, you're up to these days? Well, they can, um, they can add me on LinkedIn. Definitely that's the social network I use the most, you know, Pietro Battistella. I do have a Twitter account, which I don't use too much. Maybe I should. Um, more to promote a little bit the ideas of the book, which is, uh, but pie, but pie, We maybe you can put it in the description. So that's for Pietro Battistella and not it's for a, uh, the, you know, Singaporean cuisine <laughs> thing. <It's just> <laughs> and and uh, get, get on Bitcoin Twitter. It's a fun place. 
you might, uh, I, I don't know, you might want to make a, an alt account or something if you're you're scared of uh, <laughs> negative exposure or something. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is good fun. Yeah. And yeah, no, no, there's no other ways to contact me. I mean, I, I, I'm super accessible. LinkedIn might be the best way. And yeah, that's, that's all on my end. That's great. Well, this All is right. fantastic having you, Pietro. So uh, thanks for taking the time and for joining us and having a great discussion about Bitcoin techniques and time. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thanks. Have a good day. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening.